0: then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing through interviews tips and lessons learned we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy so let's get started Welcome back to the podcast and the second instalment with Natalie Shaw. In this episode, we continue our conversation about lots of different aspects of commercial property and business practices, with a common thread running throughout about risk management. We have a further four subject areas, including governance, information providence, the use of trial runs and regulatory blind spots. I hope you enjoyed the first instalment. I know quite a number of you did, as you've been letting me know with some great feedback. So thank you for that. If you haven't listened to it yet, put this on pause and go back to last week's show to make sure you catch up. OK, buckle up. Here comes the second and final instalment from Natalie. What are we moving on to now? Underinsured and bad governance?
1: Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about governance. Um uh and this is really down to smes and and you know we're really one man bands so how do you make decisions what is your process for making decisions is it just you so you listen to lots of different people and then you make the decision and i don't think that's necessarily healthy or the right thing to do perhaps um i have i created my own board um I'm very lucky. My my ex-husband is also one of my biggest investors, and there's no one more critical of me than him. <laughs> so actually, it really helps when I'm pitching a deal. I'll pitch to him, and he's a fund manager, so he will. He, you know, he's looking at deals all the time. But I seek out criticism. I seek out people who are not going to agree with me making this investment because I think that makes me better. If all you're talking to is your estate agent, he's got a vested interest. It's a huge yeah. conflict. If you're talking to your lawyer, he's always going to go, oh, I wouldn't do it. Oh, you know, because lawyers are normally quite cautious. So it's all about creating, running it by people. I think there is nothing better that even if you don't need the money, pitch your idea to someone as if you want their money and pitch it to someone sensible. It's (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like that caveat. I, I mean, <laughs> well, maybe <laughs> come back to how you define a sensible person. <laughs> actually.
1: Serious, but, so, yeah, you know, don't, don't pitch it to your, <laughs> your Um I pitch everything, you know. I, I Even when I was sort of uh, first starting out, it was like, you know, you're practising your pitch. I'm practising my pitch. And if you stand in a room and out loud, even if there's no one there, you'll go, oh, God, no, that doesn't sound very convincing. You know, maybe I need to rethink that. But I always think it's really important, you know, to have two or three people who you really trust to throw ideas at and to challenge you. You want to find people who disagree with you. We'll talk about it in the next section, but I always look for people who disagree and tell me not to do something. Because I know that if then, despite their criticisms or their concerns, I know that if my investment thesis still stacks up, I know that it, it's the right thing to do. Um, but governance is not just about should I make this uh, should I make this investment or not? Governance is also about have I done the boring stuff? The boring stuff we just talked about. Someone to tell you, you know, are all these buildings insured? You know, I, I this is one of the things that I think I find a lot of people are massively underinsured as they get bigger. You know, you and I were talking about this um, earlier in that People it, it's not something you should skimp on, you know, oh I got a great deal on this insurance. No, that means that, you know, insurance is is quite a a, a static thing. All right. If you've got a great deal on in your insurance, it means that there are some clauses different to the other person yeah. that gave you a quote. And I you know, you've got to find a good insurance broker who really looks after you. I have I found this amazing guy. And he actually will go to a building for me before I even buy it and he'll assess it and he'll check out the insurance and say, no, we need to add this. It's underinsured. It's overinsured. You know, especially if you're buying from these very large property funds, if you're buying commercial buildings from a large property fund, they have blanket insurance policies over their whole portfolio. So they're really covered and they get a very, very good deal. You are going to need to pay more as an individual for that insurance. But yeah. But this is all about governance, right? Are you underinsured in those businesses? Oh, let me have a look at your debt matrix. Really, you know, you've got a pain point here. And someone who asks questions about your business, um, that's not just you. If you're not particularly self-critical and you're one of these very, very gung-ho people, you need to have a sober influence to to check things over.
0: Somebody and that's what up.
1: governance is. And that's why, you know, companies have boards. The board is not there to run the company. The board is there just to ask questions, to make sure that you're doing what you said you were going to do in your strategy and that you're doing it in the yep. most appropriate way.
0: And not just saying yes. And If we just touched on insurance a little bit more, the, the thing that I think people forget is the insurance is not there as a requirement, or as a legal thing, that, or or a requirement for getting funding, which it is. But mm-hmm. it, it's there fundamentally. If things go wrong, you can get back on your feet as quickly as possible. And if you've skimped on it because it would you you viewed it as just a cost that you need to deal with, then actually, if it's ever called upon, you could be really in trouble. So a, a basic example would be, and, and I don't know the fool details of this Nasty. maybe you do a little bit more than me but if you're underinsured let's say your building's worth two million quid on a rebuild the rebuild cost is two million quid not what it's currently worth bricks and mortar and you've insured it at a million then there's definitely going to be a problem here and they don't insure they don't give you insurance for the building so if it burns down it gets destroyed oh here's your million pounds go and do what you like They the it's for for rebuilding it so now yeah. you're a million pounds underinsured. And actually, they take a very dim view of that.
1: Yeah, I I think it's, you know, for starters at the moment, remember, I mean, building costs are starting to relax a little bit. So I understand, you know, the sort of supply chain is yeah. stocked, but they're still above where they were. So even if you were insured for a reinstatement value of X last year, you really should be having that reinstatement value increased. Um, and I'll give you another example. When when I bought I bought a big portfolio in Nottingham um, out of probate from a family's estate, and they were massively underinsured. And while they'd insured the buildings, what they hadn't insured was your loss of income and the students being moved somewhere. So, for example, if one of the students had a fire in the flat and the whole thing had to be evacuated, as has happened sadly. Um, they were insured for reinstating the building, but as a landlord, you were then liable for putting your students in other housing and paying for their, um, paying for their alternative accommodation. Um, and so they were insured for the building, but not the implications of that. So I have yeah. like a three-year loss of income insurance. Yeah,
0: exactly, Yeah, the So they've still got to pay the, the
1: debt. And everything. So my insurance was three times what they were paying. But I feel that that's the right thing to do because then I'm completely covered. And, yeah, you are absolutely right in that you don't just get the million pounds and abandon the building. You only get the money from the insurance if you spend it to reinstate. Right? So it's it's yeah, it's it's, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's it, but this is not my area of expertise. I'm just saying this in governance. That is one area where I feel people really think, oh, I've got a great deal. Oh, my broker got me a good deal read the fine print and, and yeah. find a broker who really looks after your interests
0: and, and as as your portfolio grows and gets bigger there is a numbers game thing comes in there's a bit more about percentages rather than um individual buildings there there are the potential for these things happening becomes higher because there's just there's more of it mm. so you just need to get more serious and more grown up about it okay so um Natalie, what we're going on to now? information oh yeah yeah, i like this one yeah okay yeah
1: i mean this is where are you
0: getting your information from yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) this is a massive topic um as i think i said before i'm an analyst by background so i'll spend six months doing research on an area before i then decide to invest in it um yeah, you know, I I think I talked earlier about Nottingham. I think Nottingham is one of the, mo- the going to be one of the fastest. You need, rate you rate
0: you rate need rate. To stop. You need to stop mentioning that, Natalie. I know. I mean,
1: sorry, <laughs> did I mention Nottingham is is a really good place to invest? Um, <laughs> but I think people don't do enough research, and we have this wonderful term. It's called psychological scotoma. All right, so that's a blind spot. All right, and you basically people. A psychological scotoma is that you will only read stuff or you only take in stuff that agrees with your view, right? So let's say, for example, I invest in Nottingham, just to mention it one more time. Um, And a a scotoma would be, I only read positive headlines about Nottingham. Oh, yeah, look, that article agrees with me. Oh, yeah, that data point um, backs up my, my investment there. And they ignore anything that's bad news you know, what's happening at the moment, people are sticking their head in the sand about interest rates, right? Just don't want to know, I'm turning the news off because I can't bear the way that they present, you know, we're about to get 75 basis points up. And so you tend to have blind spots, you know, property entrepreneurs tend to be very positive and um, optimistic people. So I find people do, as I said, secondary research, but they don't look where that information is from. Or, the vested interests of the person who wrote that piece of information. Um, They tend to get stuck in an echo. They get in an echo chamber. So what you're doing is everyone's saying, oh, yes, you know, let's say, for example, in Nottingham, we have a a, a local property group, right? We're all invested in Nottingham. So we all talk to each other. And of course, what are we going to say? Oh, yeah, it's a great place to invest, right? And what you really should be doing as I think I said earlier: it's looking for people who disagree, looking for people who say the opposite, and that's what you should be looking for with your information. Right? That's really no-
0: tough. That's some people yeah. will find that really tough because what they're actually needing to do is they're trying to build self belief, is actually ignore people who tell them they can't do it, and it's a lot of nonsense. It's, it's that's mental toughness, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I think. I mean, if you look at the way a good journalist writes an article, they will look for, if they're making a scoop, they will look for two or three independent sources of information, right? Absolutely, bottom line, they have to have two independent sources of information, but that can't come from the same source, if you see what I mean.
0: Yes, the original.
1: original. You know, they can't have both read the same article and then those two people say, oh, yeah, this has happened. They've got to be two verifiable independent sources in the same way that really you should be looking at if you read 20 headlines oh um Cornwall is about to put um a, a, a double taxing on Airbnb rentals right but if those 20 articles are based on one press release from one councillor it's overblown the issue so you've always got to look at what was behind it you know we're, we're, we're putting a lot of money into areas and into these buildings so you really should. Look at your information providence. Um, Properties full of, I've got another good word for you. Other than psychological scotoma, ultra-crepidarian. Do you know what an (laughs) ultra-crepidarian is, Jerry? Come on. No. (laughs) No. So actually, I find that...
0: I could guess.
1: (laughs) Absolutely present company accepted, but there's quite a lot of property gurus out there um, who are full of this. This is people who talk well beyond their frame of knowledge Reference, and yes, expertise. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's an ultra-copodone. So someone who, you know, if I started going off about your business and saying, oh, serviced offices, I think this, this, and this, and you know, this is the trend in it. I don't have a serviced office. I might've read an article about it. I might've seen some statistics about it, but I don't have one. So I don't have the expertise to do it. But if I deliver it in a very positive and yeah. you know, affirmative yeah. manner, um, everyone's going to listen to what I say, um, and that's an ultra prepidarian So you've got to be very careful about, you know, do these people really know what they're talking about? Challenge their assumptions. Their property is full of unscrupulous salespeople, really. it is. it's like it's got quite a low ethics threshold. So and,
0: and there are lots who who maybe have better scruples, but what they're offering is opinion and they maybe don't actually realize that they're just offering opinion rather than some factual information. And and I love scotoma as a word, I remember hearing that a few years ago and it stuck with me. And one of the things that social media does now is it perpetuates scotoma. So if you actually like a particular, um, you were talking there earlier on about, well, we're all investing in Nottingham, Nottingham's great, or we're all investing in service offices, say for instance, or whatever it is. Facebook and these different platforms, of course, will keep showing you what you like. Yeah. <laughs> so, actually, it's just going to get exactly. doubly worse.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but I, I, you know, there's a whole background on on how to properly do research, how you do due diligence.
0: There's right. So, let's just put a little pin there. There's a subject we'll come back to in another podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you they're would they're be really so kind.
1: <laughs> that really can be the most boring person in the world and you'll go, oh my god.
0: Not at this all. Woman? This is all great stuff. No. This is all great stuff. So what we're we moving on to now?
1: Um, I put one in uh, which is I call it trial runs. And yep. this is to make sure you really want to do it. You've you've listened to the you've done the education, you've listened to all the information, you've made the choice to do something, but don't go big in a way that you can't go back on. And I, I'm, I'm, I can't find an eloquent way to say it. So I'll give you my example. Right. So I did the whole, there's a very famous property speaker, um, who is very um, pro rent to rent service accommodation. Um, he's like, Oh, you should be doing this great way cash flow, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, Oh, okay, so I've got my student portfolio, maybe I'll do some service accommodation too. And I thought, all right, well I'll I'll do a rent to rent because I, I, I don't know if I want to buy something yet, so I'll trial run it. And um with my student accommodation, so right now I am I've just rented out the majority of the portfolio for the next academic year. So I know what my income is going to be for the next 18 months. So I know I've got all my bills paid, I've got my um I've got my mortgage covered. Um, and and so I know my cash flow, very comforting. I'm a spreadsheet person. I do my cash flow forecasting. I sleep well at night. I was doing this rent-to-rent essay, and, of course, it was in Wimbledon. And, you know, so people book very last minute. And what I found was all day I'd have my Airbnb booking thing, or actually I had passed the keys. I used to pass the keys. And I kept pressing refresh literally all day for three months and I was obsessed and I was like I've got no bookings next week I've got no what am I going to do how am, I, how am I oh my goodness you know this is a disaster and I realized my anxiety level went up so much during that time I closed the whole thing down I said it's not for me now I know some people love service accommodation they have far stronger constitution than me it's just not my thing but thank goodness I did a trial run rather than go off and buy a hotel and and get into it and then you know, suddenly increase my stress levels and not be able to get out of it. So I think it's really important that people do trial runs, people do look-sees, maybe invest in someone else's business and see how that goes Mm -hmm. so you can learn. Um, You know, I I had an idea that I quite like the idea of this planning game. You know, I'm a paperwork person. I like making money on paper. So why don't I buy raw land and then get planning permission and sell it with planning permission? So the way I did it was I went, I did a crowdfunding site and I've invested in someone's project. And, oh, my goodness, it's like already a year and a half over time and it's a nightmare and she's had this, that, and the other problem with the council, a lot of planning departments have pretty much shut down for a year. I was like, okay, no, I don't really want to get involved in good, that. It's a Good too trial, good trial.
0: And, and I often say to uh, people, if they're looking at getting into commercial, start small. You can dream big, yeah. but just start small. <laughs> Learn on a slightly cheaper way. Yeah.
1: Totally agree with you. You know, you are going to make mistakes. Everyone's made mistakes. You know, I've made a huge one which I'm trying to, you know, uh, sort out at the moment. And, you know, you and I were talking about this problem property I have. And, you know, this is why I, I, I think you're great because your idea was, well, why don't we look at the self storage industry? And this is, looks like the way we're going to go. And, you know, you introduced me to the right people and stuff. And, you're always going to have to solve big problems like that, but don't do it on a scale that you can't afford you know it it's 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 so important so I think trial runs are amazing you know i i am I'm, I'm so pleased I did it, and it stopped me going into stuff that you know would send me gray
0: that's that's really interesting that's great. thanks for backing up with yeah. some stories from your own, <laughs> your own experience yeah. so the last one is and um, then the last
1: one just to not
0: yep, go for it.
1: Regulatory, regulatory blind spots. So this is a big one. And, you know, I'm sure you get pitched ideas all the time and, and I certainly see them. And, it, you know, social media is awful for this. But, you know, when people come up, with like, oh, guaranteed return or oh, this is a really secure investment, this is really low risk, you know, it will be nice and quick. I think a lot of people, especially in our area and especially that are trying to get using other people's money, have massive regulatory blind spots. I'll give you an example. You know, simple things like your ICO, the information commissioner's office. If your company is not even registered for that, but you're keeping other people's data on your system, you know, that's a really simple cost you 35 pounds a year. But I came across someone the other day who didn't even know what it was. You know, you've got so many uh well it's GDPR isn't it you know the the sort of personal data collection but that's kind of a minor thing um it's more about raising money from other people and the financial promotion rules in the UK now are becoming really quite aggressive and everything is fine that all this stuff is happening under the radar and you're all fine until something goes wrong and if something goes wrong and they have the right advice you will be in trouble so you know this is Collective investment schemes, collective investment schemes. More than one person investing in a project becomes a collective investment scheme if you are in your, if it if it's in personal name. Now, I protect myself by, uh, most of the people investing in, in my different businesses, are they do it through companies. So that automatically gives you a, a level of protection on that, but not complete. I still do all my AML CFT checks. So that's anti-money laundering checks. Um, You've still got to make sure people have the right tax documents, i.e. if you're taking money from overseas. I was listening to someone speak the other day. I said, oh, yeah, all my investors from Hong Kong, so I don't need to do any of that stuff. I'm like, right. But, you know, again, not my area, but, you know, shouldn't you get the Hong Kong tax document so that you can prove that they're Hong Kong residents? Otherwise, you have to do withholding tax. You know, blank face, you know, sort of thing. So I find a lot of smes that are taking in other people's money perhaps need to have some advice now the problem is finding advice is awful it's really really difficult because lawyers don't really know accountants don't really know no one really operates in this it's called shadow banking all right shadow banking is when you're getting it's not proper commercial banking it's happening underneath and you know this was a massive problem in China and, and really nearly brought down the, the the Chinese financial system because it became so big. But there is so much shadow banking in the UK now in the property sector that will start to be looked at and the SCA will start to clamp down. As I say, you're all fine until something goes wrong. And then are you protected? Is everything in the in the. You know, you, we go back to sort of segregating out the companies and putting in SPVs for, for different projects to limit the liability. But it, it's just an area I find people are quite bit too blasé and relaxed about.
0: I I'd agree. Um, a, a slightly different way of looking at it. Leases. When, when um, you're a tenant... And you're starting out your business or you're growing your business and you're all excited about the possibilities and you're looking at the charts, you know, going up rather than necessarily going down. And you take on a lease and these things are written to protect the landlord, not necessarily to protect the tenant. And sometimes people sign up to these and they have not looked at what happens when I get to the other end of this. What happens when I need to exit? What happens if I don't pay? What happens Mm -hmm. if um, there's a situation here where there's a fire, there's something that stops the business trading. And some of those tiny little clauses can have huge implications, but the problem is on the front end, when you're entering that deal, it's just all the excitement. And of course, raising money is the same, right? I've got the money, thank God, right? I can do this deal now, but you've maybe not gone about it the right way. And as you say, if it starts going the wrong way, what happens? Mm -hmm. Would you also put in there though, in terms of blind spots to regulation we've talked there about financial but would you also put things like compliance in there because there are a lot of areas of compliance that people don't just it's you know there's not a big list somewhere so here's all your compliance
1: yeah i think that's absolutely right there's a couple of yeah I, i'm the way i look at it is that because i don't do anything you know i don't get my hands dirty i don't do everything myself I have a layer of agents and yes. lawyers and accountants in between. So because they have, you know, process, they're all licensed, they're all this, that, and the other. And I do check through people's licenses. Um, that's my layer of protection. Um, but for anyone who's an owner operator, I think it's always good to check, double check. And, you know, I would, and this is where benchmarking against a professional company is really good and yeah. just and they all write it um you know if you look at people's websites uh like all website or or um i'm trying to think of a management company on the on the chestertons website they'll write down all their accreditations and i think anyone looking at it, it's like okay do i know what each of those accreditations are and do i need to have that myself to do the same business yeah if i, I was to be licensed to do that same business yeah
0: so if i was in if they were doing the scenario i'm in right now how would they approach it yeah yeah, yeah um, that's a great, I, great I, just, technique. I,
1: I think that's you know you're absolutely right i try and protect myself by using people tell you what the other one is sources people who source you know you. let, pay- let me
0: pass you your soapbox <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go on
1: sources who you know send an email from their gmail oh yeah i've got this four million pound building you know how about it it's got a 12 percent guaranteed yield you know sources there is a proper accreditation system for sources and they do need to have it and i will not even pick up the phone to a sourcer who hasn't got proper um no. licensing you know that that's the worst you know there's all these people who've done a sourcing course yeah,
0: done six weeks yes. on a sourcing course. Hey. Um. <laughs> so, just going back to your point before that one, though, about um, putting in those layers. If you if you've got an op- so in our business, obviously we've got two elements. We've got the investment company, and then we've got the operations business for the more service stuff. Mm. And you could and there's this thing about I'll, I'll I'll go down that route first, right? So, having a contractor come on site, a plumber to come in uh into your property to look at a basic pipe that's maybe leaking or they maybe need to put a new tap in somewhere and you think well that's a pretty basic task and most of the contractors i deal with you know will turn up relatively when they want to when it's pleasing to them but obviously we'll have a discussion about it but actually when they turn up they need to know where the asbestos is Right. They need they need to know what the FAR plan is for that building. They need you need to be thinking about, well, if this chap or girl is going to be working above a ceiling, they're going to be on a ladder, what's the implications? You've got to do all your risk management and your 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 method statements and all these things. And of course, what happens is if you start going down that route, which you need to do, you then get to a paperwork exercise, which is legitimate and required but a paperwork exercise that means that when your contractor comes in actually what is their up-to-date insurance certificate what is the method statement for changing this light bulb what is their process for doing this and what is the implication for our customers and what do we have to do what responsibilities do we have for our customers so then you start going down this route and you discover that actually the types of contractors i've been using so far and this is really talking to people who are moving from residential to commercial may not be um, tuned into that process and you may need to swap out your team as your business grows because ultimately these things need doing And, and I'd be the first to say, you know, when we first start out, that's not really something we're paying attention to. What we want to do is make sure the cold water's on or the hot water's on for the customer. That's the risk for us is the customer might leave but actually there's all the other stuff that should something go wrong, how do we deal with it? Yeah, because
1: you'll get an accident at work person coming along and, you know, you'll have lawsuits thrown at you if you don't have the right process.
0: So, you know, what would you say to people who are getting started, Natalie? You know, because like a lot of things, um, it seems in business, that if you knew everything when you got started, you probably wouldn't get started. Mm. So, you know, trying to mitigate all of these risks can be challenging for people that are getting started. I mean, what's what's your thoughts on that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> this is kind of one of the reasons why I just do paperwork. And my
0: <laughs> Maybe I'm asking the wrong person. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think perhaps you are because this is the bit that scares me, but perhaps because I'm so into the sort of risk management side, I've decided that that's not for me. So, yeah, I'm probably going to turn the question back on you, Jerry, and go, So, well, how would you approach it? Because you're the person who runs this amazing, successful business and You've taken it from you know small to to a very large scale business now. So how how would you do it? How would you encourage your you know you have all your inner circle people? How do you encourage them?
0: That's a, that's look at that. That's great. Did you say you were in politics? Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so as we grow, more and more of these things. Go from being random, trying to make sure we do it, to being more systematised. Um, and about three or four years ago, so what, what? step back a little bit. When I started the business, fairly quickly I worked out to get the scale that I needed, to get the output I wanted, I needed a certain amount of scale, and I needed a certain team members to be able to do with stuff. Mm-hmm. And one of those was facilities management so we have got a great guy on our team now um who's been with us for um two years now who basically takes care of our due diligence in terms of our operations business and of course our project management you know doing projects Mm. and it's quite interesting because there are elements to that i know about So, for instance, you could talk to me about Legionnaires testing, or you could talk to me about lifts and the different ways of having one company that does the assessments and um, deals with the lifts and the maintenance, and actually they need another, I've forgotten the term, but they have another company that comes in and actually has to check all their work to make sure it's actually been done right. And and all these different aspects, and I'm just fortunate now that we have um, a team and and the systems in place, but the thing is if I had started out with all of that in mind, I may have struggled. Mm-hmm. So I think in conclusion to our our discussion is that there is always a measure of acceptance of risk. But the most important thing is understanding the risk. That's really where we're coming from here. You need to understand what the risks are and you need to maybe have a mindset that does that little bit of that out-of-body experience of saying, right, okay, what are the risks here? Whether it's a practical on-site doing a, a house up and contractors coming in and actually your responsibilities, and more of the, the business risks. And, and then you, as, as the individual or the developer, or whatever the, the, the strategy is that you're doing, if if you're going through that process regularly, then you will be, I guess, more better armed for when these risks may happen Mm. or or something may go wrong but ultimately trying to grow a business and being conscious of that element and effectively trying to get the right people in to deal with it is the way that has worked for me because i i am more practical than you natalie right but that some of that stuff drives me nuts and i know that if i spent my time looking at all the different things that we have to do from a from a compliance point of view as well as just the risk i would probably not be able to do anything creative
1: <laughs> you're essentially i'm outsourcing to someone else and i yes. think there must be some some companies you would know much better than me that could do this outsource of facilities management and take the hassle sure. away from you when you first start until you get to a scale where you can actually have your in-house team but even if you look at very large companies they outsource all their facilities management to yeah. big companies and then it's all taken care of so they just pay you know even in their own premises yeah. you know I, I was looking at a building that has siemens in it um and they pay a ridiculous amount of money But just to take all that stress away, someone comes in and they actually have, you know, maybe four or five people on site from that outsource company that actually manage the whole building for them. So there must be a smaller scale version of it. I I just don't know
0: who they are. Yeah, for sure. And some of the buildings we've taken over, you recognise that they're part of a much larger portfolio and they do exactly what you just said. They have an outsourcing company. But sometimes that's the reason why the building is not performing very well because the outsourcing company is charging an unbelievable amount of money for sometimes not a full on service. But ultimately you still need to understand the risk. You still need to have somebody to go through that with you. So even yeah. if for instance, there are some basic ones you could do, obviously outsourcing how the asbestos is, is um, documented and outsourcing how you do your fire plans for evacuation and these sorts of things. But ultimately, you still need to understand the risks. That's mm-hmm. that's the bottom line, isn't it? And and what we were seeing earlier about scotomas and things too is some people just just aren't aware. They're just not aware that actually, hmm, how do we deal with that one? So yeah, I think for me, it's a change of mindset, mm-hmm. and just when you're going into different scenarios, and and I'm trying not to just think practically about being on site, which is mm-hmm. yeah, my default place, right? But it's just what are the what what are the risks here? Um, and it, sometimes you have those scenarios where you think you, your staff are, are maybe going down a certain route or or your team are going down a certain route and you think, hold on a minute, has anybody actually thought about this particular risk? And, oh, no, we haven't, because we're just doing this <laughs> for this outcome. But actually you might get a completely different outcome. We need to re- revisit that. Anyway, any last thoughts, Natalie? Any last thoughts of advice for people that are maybe just that little bit earlier in their career in commercial? Um, in terms of risk
1: yeah, um, I would say because we've talked in so much detail and it, it anyone sort of looking at this that hasn't actually started down the journey is going to go oh my god you know, I'm yeah. going to give up or, yeah. you know you get analysis paralysis it's just like oh no this is too much and and it's not to put people off and I, I think we said at the beginning even if you just take one or two things away from today that's going to improve your own process then I think it's been yep. worthwhile as talk, Right. So, yep. you know, we're not trying to add huge amounts of um uh, huge amounts of admin work onto your day because you know as as you point out I thought it's quite easy if you if you spend all your time looking at this you've got no time to be creative. Um so it's not to be daunted, it's just to be aware and because you know, remember ignorance is not a defense in any of this, yep. especially the regulation stuff but it, it's just to be aware that there are sometimes some questions you do need to ask of yourself and, and be very self-critical and just make sure you start out on the right foot almost. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't be daunted. It's just take a couple of things away. I always think whenever I read one of the, you know, I'm I'm kind of really into my, not self-help books, but, you know, like business books. And I always feel if I read one, and i take two things away from it that i add into my mindset or my process or whatever it was worth me reading this book so that's yeah. what I yeah
0: if you if you go for the overwhelm then some none of it goes in yeah yes. and and you know we've gone through this podcast has been really super thank you and and it's during our conversation i've been reflecting on our own business and what we're up to and and there's definitely areas there we haven't we haven't dealt with yet so we're we're definitely not in that place but i'm just conscious that over time, as we grow, these are all these we need to get more better and get more professional. Which is, I think, the way that you you actually describe this. Really, this discussion is more about professionalizing your business. Mm-hmm. But Rome wasn't built in a day; it takes one step at a time, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Natalie, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've written some notes for maybe future topics. <laughs>
1: Uh,
0: and and thank you so much yeah thank you so much i know you're about to jump on a plane and go somewhere so thank you so much for taking the time to do this it's been really awesome look forward to speaking to you again very soon pleasure
1: look forward to
0: it well what a great conversation i could have asked so many more questions and gone off on lots of different tangents but thank you natalie for sharing your time and knowledge with us it was a blast If you've been listening to the show for a while and are feeling the value, then please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Be specific about Natalie's episodes if you wish, or any of the others. It really helps lift our exposure, which in turn helps us attract more interesting people into the CPI network. If you want to learn more about how to get involved with the CPI network and learn from other private investors working in the commercial property market, then jump into the show notes to find out more about the Get In The Swim membership. Okay, this has been great, thank you, and we shall speak to you next time. Hi there, I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you, will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast? And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.